And I didn't fanboy too much. I held it in. When she did Tiki, I was like, yee! But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining us once again for the Guardians MH podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Dr. Goku, and with me tonight is my friend Joe. Hi. Nate. Hello. Hey, hey. If you're joining us for the first time, Guardians MH is a 501c3 nonprofit focused on promoting uh, mental health awareness throughout the gaming community and first step in assisting individuals with gathering meaningful resources in a safe and inclusive atmosphere. Our podcast is another way to normalize talking about mental health and it's a fusion between mental health topics and gaming. So tonight, we have the pleasure of having our guest, Mela Lee. Mela, how are you doing? You know, quite well. I can't complain. Kind of living my dream life um, <clears throat> in lockdown in LA. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the joys of COVID. So many. So many. Yeah. Oh, the sarcasm in that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't even know if I can be sarcastic anymore. I'm so over this. <laughs> Guys, it, well, that's generating the, just the collective trauma and fatigue of a global pandemic. We get to do that together. We end this together. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you again for being with us. And it's such an honor and pleasure having you on and to chat with us tonight, especially about our topic tonight, uh, mm. which is uh, bringing awareness to first responders for First Responders Month. Uh, appreciation month and uh for anybody that might not know you why don't you share a little bit about you and uh what you do well um i'm living my dream life i am a voice actress for film and television and interactive games you might know me as jade in mortal kombat lifeline in apex legends and um cheeky in miraculous ladybug and reen tosaka from the fate stay night series um tiki and <laughs> fire emblem so um, she's, you know, rawr! <laughs> I, um, I think that's probably enough. If you guys want to look me up, I'm Mella Lee. And um, I'm the patron saint of second chances. I was a bank analyst and a disaster relief worker 10 years ago, and now I get to do this. It's pretty fantastic. Oh, that's amazing. That is fantastic. And you just doing the voice right there for Tiki? Just like <laughs> literally like warmed my heart because I told you earlier, my, my daughters are huge fans of Ladybug and Cat Noir and I seriously was going to ask for an autograph, but I can't. No. You can always ask. You guys have my email. I'd love to. I mean, that's the best part about what I do. Um, I, I mean, I don't cure cancer. I'm not a doctor, but um, it was really wonderful in the beginning of, of COVID um, to do shout outs for first responders, like, is your birthday present, you know? Um, and, and then just talking with miraculous fans, they call them miraculous guys, um, that are into miraculous ladybug, but from all over the world. And, and most recently I had a live and, and it was at a time when a, a bunch of people from all over the world. So it was like Oman, United Arab Emirates, Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, Russia, UK, Australia. And I thought, all these kids from all over the world, you know, and there wasn't 
It wasn't COVID. There wasn't politics. There was just love. And it was really, really wonderful to be able to be that and to connect in that way because of my work. As a voice actor, you create these characters, you give them life. And some of these characters are so important for a lot of people. Mm. And for a lot of people, these characters are part of their childhoods and they form kind of this, this ethos of their lives. Um, Joe had sent me a birthday present of one of my idols, Kevin Conroy. And (laughs) to me, he is Batman. Mm. (laughs) And he was such a pleasure to work with. He really was. He was such a good sport. I nerded out completely on that, (laughs) but he shaped me and an entire generation for what that character could be. Mm. And I think when we're alone in the booth, I mean, when I first started, I was just really grateful for craft service, which is free food. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it was, it was not the pandemic, but it was definitely the Titanic about 10 years ago with a banking crash. And I was Mm. really grateful for the work and voiceover and, and the, the free food and tea. <laughs> I was stuffing my pockets with like bananas and apples and, and uh, living off that for a minute. But you don't understand, you know, if, I'm thankful for the work, but it, once you meet fans and, and whether it's in person at a Comic-Con or now we're having online conventions or signing situations, mm-hmm. to hear the personal stories, um, to see that your work, you know, affects people in that way. And I think a lot of people don't know how much they matter and and in whatever job i think whether you're an accountant or a firefighter first responder voice actor you don't understand how much you matter um until you communicate with people which kind of brings us to our topic when we're talking about mental health and and awareness is that it's important when you are depressed or feeling like you don't matter or you're insignificant or overwhelmed that you do need to connect with other people their point of view um is going to be important to you because when we're all by ourselves, we're thinking maybe a, a fraction of what the universe is actually mathematically creating in our lives and, and the quantum effect of our being. I'm such a nerd. I think I just outed myself. It's <laughs> mm, okay. That's, but but what nerd. you're speaking, but what you're speaking about is so very important because yeah. mm. um, it s- speaks about what's called a parasocial relationship. Mm-hmm. I'm going full nerd here as well. So oh, my, my thesis topic in, was... You're in great company. <laughs> <laughs> my thesis topic was on parasocial relationships. It's okay. building that uh, unidirectional relationship with someone that you may not uh, be able to develop a relationship with. Mm. And these characters, where they be in video games, where they be in TV, movies, uh, comics, they're so important to the person you build a relationship, you get to know them, you get to know them intimately in and out. They're safe, they're comforting. And you feel the same emotions as you would as someone that would be your brother, sister, aunt, uncle. It's an honor to receive that. And, and I think, you know, voice actors on uh, and actors uh, on a, a level, we receive that. But I think first responders, especially, um, you know, I remember I was in a, a car accident six years ago and I was um, cut out of a car. They had to do like the jaws of life to get me out. And mm. my firefighter that was there with me while they were cutting me out was Mike. I don't know his last name, never seen him again. Mike held my hair and he told me, 
you know, I guess it's like he knew what I was thinking. I was having difficulty breathing because I was crushed. And he was like, you haven't punctured a lung. I don't hear any gurgling. Just look at me. And, and so Mike is part of my narrative. Uh, you know, he's like, like a brother or a sister, like that kind of intimacy, but we don't know each other. And, and I think the, the, the first responder doctors, all of that, they become part of our, our narrative and become so close to us, even though we may not know anything about them, except for this touch point in our lives when we met them. It's amazing the, the impact um, that can just be had in five minutes, probably in that situation, maybe a little bit less, but that it, it just takes a single word or a single uh, sentence just to kind of make a huge impact mm. on somebody's life. And I think when we talk about first responders, that's literally what it is. When someone is in crisis, those are the first people that sort of show up. You know, working in a hospital, EMS is the first people that gives us the information as to what's going on, right? But they're the first ones that are on the scene. They're the first ones that are doing the jaws of life. They're the ones that are seeing the absolute worst situation. That's what they're running into. Um, being that it's September, being that it's Firefighter Appreciation Month, being that I live in New York, mm. 9-11 firefighters, all first responders ran into a situation that people were running from. It is that mentality in and of itself is amazing. It's pure, almost selflessness. It is pure um, devotion to saving others. I think it's humanity at its finest. Yeah, and in that moment. There's no political or national divisions. It's just human beings for human beings. I think right. it's, our, it's us at our highest. And with those first responders, it it's humans at their highest. But seeing the worst that someone may see, so them sacrificing themselves for the betterment of everyone else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's amazing you know, how sometimes average people can become first responders, you know, people who have little to no training, like you mentioned 9-11. Mm -hmm. How many just yeah. average people off the road ran in there when even, you know, some of the first responders either couldn't because they were mm -hmm. preoccupied or they were having their own breakdowns at the moment and didn't want to go in. I'm sure there were plenty of first responders that were like, that just for whatever reason couldn't go in. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. They got a lot of stuff that they have to deal with too. Yeah. But I'm always impressed at how many average everyday people off the street just all of a sudden step up when no one else will. Yeah. And you know, we were talking about that before we press record where um, the, the concept of mental health for first responders, you know, the importance of getting rid of the stigma of talking about mental health, especially for our first responders is people look up to them and, and they're, our situations every single day, whether you are a brother, a sister, a teacher, uh, a nurse, where you become a first responder, an unexpected hero. Mm -hmm. And for us to have an open conversation about the mental health of, you know, our, our veterans and, and our first responders and our medical professionals is to have a conversation for everyone to be a part of and to understand that when your time comes, not only how do you respond in a way that is 
um, not necessarily self-sacrificial, you know, finding out ways that it's a, instead of an either or, it's a both and, um, but also what we do in the aftermath. You know, when I worked in disaster relief, we, we, we worked on first response, but what about second and third response? Mm-hmm. What happens when, you know, Salvation Army and, and, and Red Cross and, and the cameras go away? Mm-hmm. What is left in that the disaster of, of victims of violent crime, natural disaster, or catastrophic illness and injury? Um, there is a long road of recovery and, and you know, waves of depression on both sides for both victim and responder. And um, I really, I admire Matt and Jean-Luc, Dr. Goku, um, what you're doing and, and what this podcast and what this um, stream is representing is that open discourse of healing for everybody involved. It, 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 it's, it's to a point, I think, especially now, where the conversation needs to be open and the conversation needs to happen. You know, dealing with um, working in a hospital and working in a small hospital, not a trauma center, it's what they call a community hospital. Not that we weren't prepared for COVID, because we were. I do have to say, we were given the tools, but the staff that were there were not used to that level of trauma coming in. They weren't used to putting, and I don't, I don't mean to be graphic, they weren't used to putting 20 people on ventilators, you know, and frankly, they weren't, you know, really, not. I don't want to say trained, but they weren't really ready to deal with that amount of loss so quickly. And I know, I know from personal, but I also know seeing my coworkers, nurses, doctors, EMT workers, everybody at one point or another broke down, myself included, because it, it just was not, <laughs> it wasn't the norm. Yeah. And so with that, like Dr. Goku says, it is a collective trauma. All of the hospital that I worked with went through and is still in some way, shape, or form dealing with that collective trauma. Um, and I think the other reason this conversation has to happen is because I, I, I when I see, whether when I was working in a private practice or just in general, when I saw anybody who was a first responder, I think unfortunately, and this is where the conversation comes in, they don't feel as though... Oh yeah, but it's my job to save others. I don't need, you know, I don't need to talk to anybody. This isn't the job. This is what I do. And I don't, and they're not necessarily trying to be better. It's more so like, no, I have things to do. And it's also a coping strategy. Yes. With a lot of the first responders, uh, like I mentioned, I don't really work with, I've worked with a couple police officers and firefighters. um, uh, But my main focus is with correctional officers. Mm. They they are the police officers, the EMTs and the firefighters within Mm. correctional institutions. Mm. And it's within their mind frame of, well, that's just the job. It's just part of what we do. It's just, X, Y, or Z. And they don't necessarily understand how much the job changes them inside of those walls, but outside of those walls. The compartmentalization. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Bride K. Rice, who's the head of the California Fire Foundation that helps fallen firefighters, and as well, um, Professional Firefighters Association here in California, 
was very forthwith, very transparent in our conversations. And this was this time last year before COVID um, discussing the, the overwhelming situation with um, suicide among first responders and firefighters and, and, and that would it be helpful to help fallen firefighters and first responders before they fell into the grave. And, and that, you know, these weren't just numbers or statistics. These were people that he knew, um, you know, whether it be through substance abuse or other ways to compartmentalize or, or cope that were not healthy. And of course, alcohol, substances, and um, things that, you know, warp your ability to, to combat that conversation that's going on in your head, you know, with depression being a liar and, and maybe not a liar. You're just seeing the worst of humanity or the worst of a situation day in and day out. And then, you know, if we're talking about traumatic stress, I, and I'm not a doctor, but, you know, the traumatic stress disorder, I, I don't think it's a disorder in the sense that it's an absolutely normal reaction to an abnormal situation. Hmm. And how do we open up that discourse in a way that not only helps our first responders, but allows them to help their brothers and sisters on, on the front lines as well? One thing that I feel it's, is not talked about is how important seeking mental health services are for those first responders. Yeah. But mm. I've uh, earlier on in my career, I did a lot of screenings for the RCMP uh, here in terms of new cadets applying to go to a depot to get their RCMP training. Okay. And we did a whole psychological background. But after that, it, it's only kind of that first step. And then they just go. They just do the job, but there's no real follow-up until something happens. And I remember back in 2014, uh, my city was in lockdown due to a spree shooter that had killed three RCMP officers. And the aftermath, not just for those three officers that were killed, but for the officers that weren't mm-hmm. the people mm-hmm. that were off it, it the, the whole city was in lockdown for two days and I've treated some of them. I've talked to some of them that had survived and they are marked for life. doesn't mean that they're not going to be able to work. They, they can, but it's difficult. Mm-hmm. One thing I, I realized when we were working in disaster relief um, with the Salvation Army and FEMA and, is that pre-crisis management was much more effective. Mm. That mm. we had situations where people just weren't prepared at all. And uh, for not only the event, but the aftermath of the event, their sense of self-worth, the understanding mm. of, of the psychology of going through a catastrophic illness, natural disaster, or, or a violent crime. It's very methodical. It's very as a doctor, you guys would know it, the responses are very similar. And if we um, are able to educate people what to expect, not only would they be able to face it better on their own, but they'd be able to recognize it in family members and friends. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I would be an advocate, and, I, and I'm sure that you are as well, for pre-crisis management and getting that understanding out so that it's not just that training and then we wait until something happens. Because right. then you're in real time. You don't have enough time to process work you know, be a father, mother, brother, sister, you know, that's not the time to be calculating um, 
the conversation about mm. post-traumatic or traumatic stress. How, how would you suggest, what are some things that we can do to inform the population so that we're doing the pre-crisis management when it comes to mental health? One thing <laughs> I would recommend is, and I know it's costly and I know it's difficult to implement, but having regular follow-ups with, even if it's a counselor, a therapist, a psychologist, social worker, someone on a regular basis to talk with the person. Mm -hmm. Just even if nothing happens. How could we frame it since there's a stigma of seeing a doctor? How do we frame it that maybe it would be about understanding more about the mental health of your brother and sister on the force so that you could recognize things. Is there a different way that we can frame it? So it's not like, Hey, it's really important for you to spill your beans and your guts and, you know, however we want to say in a negative fashion, how do we reframe it so that it's really about, you know, it's good to, before anything's wrong, the pre-crisis management, we just want to educate you more on, on the psychology of these events so that when they happen for you or for someone that you are partnered with or that's on the force with you. Um, How do we reframe that so that the stigma goes away? What are your suggestions? So I know um, the one thing that we did, um, I worked with um, substance abuse primarily um, in my, in my field. And what we did was we always involved the family. Obviously we got consent and things like that, but a large portion is education about the, with the people around the person as well too, because once, once a family is on board and educated about telltale signs, um, you know, looking for extended isolation, looking for um, some triggers. Mood swings. Yeah. Yeah. Educating that and also letting family know as well as as well as the first responder as well as as well as somebody that it's okay to feel this way during that time um, involving family I think is key and education as much as possible uh, discussions of and pointing out support groups because they're 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 out there um, I know for a fact. In Pennsylvania, in, in particular, there's a few organizations out there um, that not only have support groups for um, families of first responders, but also for first responders in general. There's different types of tracks for substance abuse as well, too, because it is very prevalent for those uh, for first responders because it's a maladaptive, but it's a coping skill at times, unfortunately. Um, so there is specific tracks for police officers, firefighters, and and uh, EMS workers because of that almost collective trauma that they've all somewhat faced together. So I think it's really the education, too, has to be a part of the pre-crisis because we need to know what's out there. We need to know what's available. So sharing that as much as possible um, to everyone is that is helpful. Is that going to be like in the feed? Where can we put that? Um, I would love a list to be able to post this. I'll be doing a lot of posts on my social media um, to bring awareness. I, I I would love for you to forward that to me and, and sure. everyone who's watching or listening. Yeah, one really good put that program. together. Yeah. yeah, one really good program is called the Wounded Warrior Program. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. 
and Big they focus on resiliency training, uh, trauma resiliency. Uh, they have what's called a COPE program, so couples overcoming PTSD, so working with the partners. Mm. Uh, they also have animal-assisted therapies. But what I feel the one of the most important ones there is resiliency training. And working with trauma after the fact can be long and it can be difficult. I do it on almost on a daily basis. And most of my clients don't want to come to therapy because it's not fun. Building preventative resiliency. So having that monthly session with a therapist to help them build resiliency would be, for me, in my opinion, so beneficial because they work out their muscles, they do um, cardio to make sure that they're in good physical shape to do the job. But often most most programs or uh, divisions neglect the mind, they neglect the brain, and the brain is the one that guides everything else. I mean, what about even incorporating some of the most basic things that are overlooked, like warning signs? That you can look for when a crisis does happen. You can look out for your friends, family, loved ones, those around you, coworkers that are beginning to show signs of, you know, that they might be going through something or might be going into a crisis. And then also having, uh, I think I'm, I'm, I don't think it's called an action plan, but it's pretty much having basic information. I, I call it like the babysitter plan. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because, it, you know, when the babysitter, you know, watches kids, you got the phone numbers and everything, the emergency numbers on the refrigerator, you mm-hmm. know, but it's the same thing with having an action plan for preparing for a crisis, learning mm-hmm. early warning signs, but also having the basic information for phone numbers, for friends and families, for therapists, psychiatrists, mm-hmm. um, 911 also that is so important joke yeah i mean yeah. it it it's, oh. it plus also diagnoses medications mm-hmm. you know any any sort of histories triggers i mean mm-hmm. we, we we have a mental health kit that we put out and uh dr williams here put together one of the forms that we include in our mental health kit is a safety plan which has some of these basic informations for when you are in crisis that you can give to somebody to help you while you're going through crisis. So important. I I think not to politicize anything that's going on in this country, in America, I know we're all over the world, um, but as a person of color, and also someone who works with first responders, I think it's important to note that we have a key population that is in post-traumatic stress. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and without having this open conversation, you know, uh, across the board, you know, I believe some of the events that are occurring, obviously there are many factors, but it's highly likely that we're dealing with post-traumatic stress on a, on a grand scale um, because we have not addressed first responders' mental health pre-crisis. We're kind of in the middle of it now. And, that, and One thing with, very with trauma is well, a lot of people don't necessarily understand how people really get affected and humans are innately resilient. People are very resilient, more than people give them credit for. Uh, following 9-11 that you mentioned, Matt, about, I don't remember the exact statistic, but it was about 10% of 
of the people involved, so those first responders involved, with 9-11 developed clinical PTSD. Mm. doesn't mean that the other 90% don't have nothing. They just don't have it to the level where it be classified. But when it comes to those triggers and um, to those warning signs that you mentioned, Joe, one thing to look f- to look at is what people typically look at in the other way around. So they'll see the person crying yeah. or breaking down or saying, oh, we need to attend to that person. That person is tro- it's processing what's going on. Mm. Me as a as a mental health professional, I would be looking at the person that is not taking a break, the person that is not processing everything. That's the person I am going to see in my office a month, a year, 10 years down the line. Now, now that stands out to you more than any of the others with everybody else around them showing some sort of sign of emotion, I guess, you know, with the trauma or because people are emotional. I mean, we have emotion. We show emotion when you're not showing emotion and you're keeping it all inside. I mean, letting that fester, it, it's going to come out one way or another eventually. Is yeah. That, yeah. What is the technical term, doctor? Is that dissociative? Uh, you dissociative could be dissociating. Disorder, it's dissociating. Okay. Yep. And it, it can manifest in different ways. But what the person is doing is they're forcing themselves to do something where they feel they need to Mm -hmm. and not let themselves feel. Mm -hmm. And you, you might also, you might also recognize too, that other people will work too much. First responders will take on additional shifts. They'll take on an obscene amount of overtime. Yeah, um, um, I have one in my office that I've been treating for like a year and a half that for like 20 some odd years, he was working 80 hour weeks. Yeah. I, I, I no, I, I remember working with someone who had, uh, he just so happened to be getting his taxes done and he came in with a binder of, of W2s because he was just working so much for so many different people. Wow. And it really was, it was avoidance. He didn't want to really process what was going on. But I think that's one of the warning signs. Um, also, anniversaries of specific trauma. And I don't, you know, I don't mean to bring up 9-11 again, but for those who have... It's a big trauma. It's a big yeah. trauma. For those who have friends or family or loved ones who were involved in it, it's a good time to check in because they may be going through something. Mm-hmm. One week away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anniversaries uh, of, of things uh, tend to also, um, unfortunately, relive memories okay. during those times. That's a big That's a big one that I've seen, at least working with some first responders. Well, what happens to first responders right now when... <laughs> It's the anniversary of the largest fire. It's the anniversary of COVID. It's the anniversary of September 11th. When it starts to all become, yeah. the, the calendar is, is just anniversaries of the most horrible things that ever happened in their lives. Is that where they lose track of time and become spiraling into that? It's never going to be better. It's never going to change mentality. 
Unfortunately, that's, that's one I've when... seen a lot of people just dive into maladaptive coping behaviors. Yeah. That's when the symptoms Overworking, kick in. Drinking, avoidance, drugs. The big thing that, that, that we tell, that I tell everybody is check in with everybody, especially during COVID right now. And we need, we need interaction. Call everybody, call whoever you might be even have an inkling because sometimes these first responders don't have family. They may live alone. They may just be by themselves and it's good to check in. There's a reason why TV and, and cinema have the stereotypical trope of the police detective. It's someone who drinks, lives alone, has a failed marriage or two, uh, kind of rough around the edges. There's a reason why that stereotype is there. It's because they have lived through a lot of trauma and it's very synonymous to uh, what a lot of first responders live through. Mm -hmm. They do this amazing work, but on their personal lives, a lot of them are a mess. Well, what energy is left when they get home Mm -hmm. for that? Right, right. They spend it all saving others. They don't have any to really take care of themselves. And that's the importance of kind of having this conversation is because you deserve to get some, you deserve to get some, as much as you're giving your energy to others, mm-hmm. you deserve to have it replenished by, by someone else, be it family, be it friends, be it a therapist, mm-hmm. be it a doctor. You need and deserve to get that energy back. Well, I think you know, that's good advice for just about anyone that's listening. Yeah. Respond or not is that, especially if you are a lifeline, <laughs> I'm a, a healer <laughs> by nature, mm-hmm. um, but part of that, behavior is that you you would actually absolutely take a bullet for anyone but it you haven't imagined a world where someone would do that for you if you are that person in the dynamic on a consistent basis and that's something that i've learned recently in my life um to begin to expect that coming from the people around me so to make sure that i have first responders set up uh, i call it my lifeboat like who's in your boat and you want to make sure everyone rows mm-hmm. um, because uh, there's a tendency if, if, if you're like a savior complex or someone who's just a real helper um, to be like in the water, just pushing the lifeboat <laughs> and not getting in yourself. And, and everyone thinks you're fine and, and you're drowning. You're yeah, exhausted and you're drowning. That was something that even my, my peers here, you know, they had to reach out to me when, when I was early on in the, uh, the lead role in the discord was, you know, I was jumping on, on everyone and being supportive and, and just trying to do my best to, you know, to, to help everyone around me. And it, you know, and I just, I completely disregarded where my own energy levels were. Mm-hmm. And it, right. And, and I remember Joe and Jean-Luc both reaching out going, you need to take a couple of days and just kind of decompress because we can tell we've, we've read your conversations from Monday to Thursday and you're burning out. And I didn't even see it. I didn't even see it. Of course not. Because I mean, the need is there. And I think, you know, everyone in this COVID situation is now going to step in and be like, oh, that's me. There's a need. There's disasters Mm -hmm. everywhere, whether Mm -hmm. it's in your family, everyone is either affected by this or they're supporting a family member or friend that's affected by it. And you you feel like you don't have a choice, especially if you're not injured. Um, But I know when, you know, for my EMS workers and my first responders, that golden hour, there are several people that will be helping other people and then they slip under because they didn't know that they were injured. Right. 
So you're you, one thing that it makes me think of is uh, one of my colleagues and uh, a friend of the show, uh, Dr. Scarlett. She had mentioned that through her on. work uh, through um, military vets, where a lot of them dealing with trauma, they wanted to be Superman, felt they weren't able to be Superman, and failed. Yeah. And that was kind of the rhetoric that they had in their mind. Because a lot of first responders will have failed in one way, shape, or form. Unfortunately, it's kind of part of the job. And one thing she had recognized is in using that superhero therapy is talking to them about them recognizing that Superman is not this infallible character. Superman has failed. He has weaknesses. But it's what he does despite the weaknesses. He's still able to be Superman, even though he's uh, weakened by kryptonite. Mm-hmm. Well, and it goes to you talking about your stereotypes. The reason why they are there is they're true. And, and, and across mm-hmm. the world, in every superhero trope, um, they have an upbringing where they feel different. They feel weak. They feel bullied. Um, they don't understand their gift. And they're only a superhero maybe 10% of the time. Mm-hmm. But the difficulty is what happens when the cape comes off. And and I think that we all relate to those stories and those origin stories because we're all heroes 10% of the time, but we're no. dealing with how we feel the other 90% in our maybe not so put together mm-hmm. state. I know a hero uh, is not the person that is wearing the suit of armor mm-hmm. or that has these powers is it's the hero is what that person does with those gifts mm. does with that suit or does despite maybe not having those things. Yeah. And I love the Superman, you know, analogy because after he saves the world, he goes back to fumbling with his glasses and feeling a little bit insecure. And that's mm-hmm. actually much more human. I think we can all relate to that. There's, there's a moment in our lives where we absolutely know what we're doing. I know what I'm doing in the, in the booth, but then mm-hmm. the other 90% of the time, I'm just like freaking out. It's COVID. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? That humanity that no one else sees. And, and, mm-hmm. you know, I I think that's where I sometimes can come into the conversation as a peripheral. But when you play a superhero, we start to see those those commonalities. And one of them is that, you know, there's a, a moment where we all have a, a different power. But like even in Apex Legends, um, we have to squat up. Mm. Your strength is made perfect in my weakness. and. Mm-hmm important to squat up and know that you can only be strong like when nate was saying i didn't even notice you've got to have your squad mates because they're the ones who will point it out that you need a relive well and jean luc and matt can i ask a question i mean i know that the stress has increased during covid but it may be that we're some of us that are workaholics or 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 would overwork to that maybe it's not just an increase in stress but that because we're un, in isolation, we're noticing behavior patterns, or it's much more obvious because we can't distract ourselves. Mm. Is that maybe also what's happening? Not just an increase in anxiety, but that when you're alone, it's pretty obvious. So I'll speak on a personal level. Okay. Once COVID, once, um, once COVID hit, uh, my job changed multiple times. Um, because I was bounced around, um, Mm. and for a long stretch, I was on medical units and I felt for a long time, I needed to be there. Mm. 
my job as a social worker is not critical. It's necessary, but it's critical. It's not critical, but I still felt like I got to be there. So, yeah, I was picking up the overtime on Saturday and Sunday, or I was coming in early, or I was, you know, leaving late, or I was doing this extra, I was doing that extra, because there was a there was a part of me that felt I needed to be here. Like, this is this is what I signed up for. This is my job. It's time to go. And similar to what Nate was saying before, I completely forgot about me. I just was going through. I and she's in the other room and she probably hears me and she's like, yep, yep. Yes, you did. But <laughs> my wife finally told me like, you got to stop. You're working seven days a week. You're not, you're not okay. Hmm. You know, and it took me even a while to believe her. <laughs> and then, you know, so yeah, th- there's, there's a sense of, you know, there's a great sense of urgency, which not necessarily is a bad thing, but for, but for some people, they, we may not know how to shut it off right away and we may not recognize that, okay, we got to take time for us. And unfortunately with that comes an inevitable crash and burn burnout. Burnout's a great um, sort of way to frame this a little bit. And it's a common thing across the board with any first responder or or anybody, especially now burnout is huge. Burnout. You just, you, you're physically drained. Okay, so, You're physically so, and emotionally drained. Matt and Jean-Luc, um, people that are listening right now, um, our first responders, our firefighters, and you know, our moms and dads, teachers, um, they're seeing the signs. What are three signs of burnout and what are three steps that, that we can all take to, to remedy them in a healthy way? I know we've talked about mal- uh, is it maladaptive behaviors. Mm-hmm. Maladaptive behavior. Maladaptive coping behavior. Adaptive behaviors. Adaptive. Okay. So, So warning um, signs to look for are maladaptive coping strategies. Which would be like if the person is isolating more. Mm -hmm. Uh, If someone was a social butterfly and now barely talks. If the person is drinking more, sleeping more. Mm playing video games more if they used to exercise a lot and then now they don't changing in eating habits sleeping patterns those are all telltale warning signs that something is going on so Mm -hmm. what are some steps we can take if it's us that's going through that ourselves or what and what are some steps we can take if it's someone that we love that's in our lives one thing i recommend for, for everyone, where it be the person that's in my office or their family is. Mark that. Keep that thought because he'll be right back. Oh, yeah. Just I a second. Way to get us all on the edge of our seats, really. I know. I know. I'll, what a cliffhanger. I'll pick up. Matt, yeah, I'll pick up a little bit from, <laughs> from that. Um, I'll speak from the family side. Um, having an open, honest, and patient conversation understanding that maybe when you talk to your loved one or somebody about this that they may not necessarily be receptive to it they may be a little standoffish so almost having the the patience to continue to have that conversation also I, i think the biggest thing to do also do is not to force it yet either 
because the more that you the more that you try to push it and force help upon someone, uh, they tend to dig their feet in right. a little bit. So it's always an aspect of remaining as patient as you can, as supportive as you can, and when they when they do come to the realization that okay something's wrong, that's when a loved one should take the opportunity okay. and run with it. Like, okay, I'll help you find someone. I'll help you right. talk to somebody. Um, I think that's a big thing from, from the, from the family side. And I see Dr. Goku is back. So he can, he can bring yeah. us from the, from the cliffhanger that he <laughs> oh left my us gosh. on. He's like, the one thing everyone should do. The and then one thing should do. <laughs> Sorry about that. Like, oh. like I was talking early. The office Wi-Fi decided to go bye-bye. <laughs> What's the one thing everyone should do? That's what we, so the one thing everyone should do would be to have the difficult conversation with the person. Because mm-hmm. chances are the people closest to the person will notice when things are being off mm-hmm. before the person may even recognize it. Mm-hmm. Okay. When we're in a situation, we don't recognize how things are affecting us until someone else kind of mentions it to us. So don't be afraid to reach out to verbalize what you may be seeing, to have that difficult conversation with the person, because that might be what they need to really open up. It might be bursting at the seam, trying to contain and deal with these emotions, not knowing how to, kind of needing someone to say, hey, how are you doing? And what do you do? You know, I was in a situation, not super recently, but where I did have that difficult conversation and the answer was, I hate myself. Um, I, I feel like I should just blow my brains out. You know, what are the steps that if you're in that situation with someone that you love and they've opened up, then I think that's why I was like, where's that list that you guys were talking about? What are the healthy steps we can take when someone does open up, not trying to, to minimize it, but I don't want them Mm -hmm. to spiral. Like what can we do? So I think it depends also, there was a couple of things in that situation, right? You know, if you do have somebody who you're with, first responder or not, um, that's expressing that they may want to hurt themselves, it's an automatic assessment of safety. And sometimes it's an automatic, okay, well, I need to get you to the safest place possible. And we're going to go to the hospital. You know, I've I've had to have this conversation a lot of times with some patients of mine that I've seen, especially in private practice, like, okay, I need to call whoever your emergency contact is and they have to take you. And you I I don't want to say that people fought me because a lot of times they okay, I understand, I need help, I need support, I need mm-hmm. to go. The other the other side of that though, if you finally have somebody who is opening up and sort of letting, letting it all out. The biggest thing is support and be there with them. You know, don't try to fix the situation because you're, that's not your role at the time. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't play. um, Don't play fixer. Play the role of support and help. And I will, let's find somebody Mm. to best help. Let's go on this journey together. That is the most important thing you can do. Find the hospital, find the crisis center, find the therapist, 
Yeah. That is going to be there to help you mend what's going on. Yeah. And having been in a situation uh, with someone, you know, this year, um, letting everyone else know that there comes a time where you have to know that you're not a doctor. I mean, mm-hmm. you, wouldn't be, you wouldn't be like, you have cancer. What can I do for you? It's not your area of expertise unless you're an oncologist. Um, but that yeah. you know, depression is a clinical thing and, and, and self-harm and all of these things. There are doctors, um, you know, like Matt and, and Jean-Luc that, that specialize in, in talking about it, treating mm-hmm. it. And, and, and it's, it's not necessarily you. So all you healers out there that are similar to Mela, um, remember that you don't have to know what you don't know. There and even if you're a doctor, mm-hmm. you still need to have someone. Mm, yeah. You still need to find someone that helps you during those difficult times. I went through a difficult time. Oh, God. I kind of forget how long, but not long ago it was, a couple months ago that one of my clients killed himself. Mm. And it, it floored me. Yeah. But I have my own therapist. I talk to them and... It it still hurts, but you need to develop the tools to continue going. Yeah. That's such a powerful conversation. Thank you for sharing that. Everybody needs somebody. Mm-hmm. We are we are humans. We are creatures of connection. We are creatures of that that tend to thrive on a human connection, a human response. So no matter what our title is we always at one point yeah at one point in our life we're gonna need somebody to be like hey um i gotta borrow that shoulder really quick because i either need to lean on it or i'm gonna cry (laughs) and that's kind of what has to be really normalized is that it is very much okay to rely on others when you need it Mm. yeah Absolutely. And some, you can offer it until you're blue in the face to somebody until they make that, take that first step to actually open up. Right. Like you said, let me borrow that shoulder for a minute. Yeah. Yeah. And as, as someone that's not really necessarily the mental health professional there, there's something to be said about being proactive to a situation instead of reactive. When you, when you know someone that's a responder, responder, you have those conversations, right? Mm -hmm make sure they're okay before something happens. Yeah. Now I know we, we have a limited time with you and I, I, I don't want any, anybody turn into a pumpkin or get mad at us or anything like that. But <laughs> uh, we are at the end of our time uh, with you. If we could ask, we have one person uh, that was actually viewing that wanted to ask a question earlier at the beginning okay. and never got a chance. So we're going off topic now. Um, if any, actually, before we we're do veering. this question, we are veering, uh, because I, 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 I know we were so, you know, blessed to have, you know, any time with you. And it's been such an amazing conversation before we do leave this conversation. Uh, what are some last thoughts before we do, uh, step away? Um, I'm really grateful for what you're doing and, um, and, and how you're highlighting the needs of first responders and, um, healthcare workers, firefighters. It's, I mean, it's a huge part of my life. I come from a military family. Um, mm. My mother was in medical service as well. And um, I, I think that we're in unprecedented times, which I hate to say. It's like such a stereotypical mm. thing to say. But it's the but truth. But it's the truth, yeah. Yeah, that's where heroes are born. 
that's everybody's origin story. And, and so we are capable of doing, you know, more than we think we can. But um, I think that in my field, not only in practice, um, uh, like as, as, a, as a voice in a game, we always have a squad. There's always a super <laughs> team. Um, but in my real life, I've got my go-to people. Mm-hmm. And um, you need to have your squad, peeps. I don't care how strong you are. And, and I know that some people feel like there just isn't anybody. Um, so hopefully you guys are going to be uh, sending this out, typing it up, putting it on your website, posting it on your, your Twitter feed, because I will repost it. There are resources that we don't know about. It's kind of like online shopping. I'm finding great things now, like where I could <laughs> know that you could get them. Uh, we need the same thing for mental health. And, and it's not just for you, but the stronger you are, the more you know, the more you can be there for the people that you love. It's one of the things, uh, we're a 501c3 nonprofit that is focused on helping individuals with gathering meaningful resources mm. in a safe and inclusive atmosphere. And this is one of those things that we will definitely take within the next week and put together and have it on the website and share it all over and maybe Absolutely. uh include it in uh future waves of the mental health kits that we mm. send out to people that are have no cost to them these are completely free mental health kits to try and help people through these uncertain times right now so much for including me um you know as as a lay person um and and something is really close to my heart, but please get in touch with me via email, my agents. Um, let me know how I can support it. And and anyone that's watching that's a fan of mine, um, uh, Lifeline said do it, and uh, <laughs> we will continue. <laughs> oh, that reminds me. Before uh, we let you comes. go, this one question. Uh, uh-huh. This has to do with Owl House. Oh. Okay. Disney. Uh, yes. <laughs> yep. I wanted to ask her, what is it like working on such an inclusive show such as Owl House? What brought her to the project and how does she think it helps the mental health of those that are LGBTQ and having representation? Mm, mm. You know, I, I think um, a lot of people think the diversity question is really just, you know, maybe a skin color or, but I think it's more of a cultural diversity question. And that regardless of skin color, we have cultures. You can be Italian and be a million shades. You can be LGBTQ and be a million shades. So let's talk about diversity in cultures and, and, and having that representation of your culture um, in, mm. a, in a medium like animation and, and gaming is so important. You know, I grew up and there was Mariah Carey, <laughs> but what? that was it for me as, as a, mixed, mm. you know, a mixed cultural um, background person since we're all human yeah. race. Um, but that to to have a wonderful career, but to see, especially in the last five years, the diversity of cultures that are represented in my projects, um, you know, whether it's Lifeline with Freckles and, you know, um, you know, we have like everyone thinks Jamaican, but it's there's a little bit of Jamaican Patois, but we did a lot of Trinidad and, and some of my own background. And in the Caribbean, you've got all these shades and, and different cultures that make up the diaspora that you find there. Mm-hmm. And um, for Owl House, um, the the writers and, and just the beautiful imaginations and, and the 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 different 
cultures that are represented in, in Disney and Amazon and Nickelodeon Cartoon Network that I've had the opportunity to work with this year. Um, mm. I'm really honored uh, to be a part of that. And I love to talk with um, the fans. And I, I think I thought it was just maybe four to seven or eight, but our fans for animation are from four to 64. Yep. And I think it really feeds the kid in all of us that is looking for um, a connection and a redefinition of self. So I, I, I really love my job, mm. but I've come to fall in love with the medium and what it can do for the broader conversation for humanity. It's been an honor. And how did I get a part of it? I auditioned for it and a year and a half went by. Um, I thought I did a great callback, but it turns out they had my character come out a lot later. Um, in a different season. And so, guys, sometimes you never know. Some amazing, wonderful things can be happening to you. Um, and they're just, the seeds are being planted right now. So you may feel like, oh my gosh, what's going on in my life? Well, a year and a half, it's going to be amazing. Um, that's what happened with Owl House and several, several animated series that I'm working on now. So it's worth the wait. It's worth the wait. <laughs> that's awesome. It is. Thank you so much for taking the time to answer that. All of the time, actually. You're like 17 <laughs> minutes later. <laughs> really can't thank you enough for coming on and chatting with us. And we'll definitely reach out to you uh, uh, very soon with some more information that you might be able to pass around and help, you know, spread the word on, you know, what people can do, you know, preparing yeah. for, for things. And Thank you. Thank you for Heck, all I'm, that. might help you up to help me uh, put the kits together when they ship them my way. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm here. I already have a Google Doc going for resources. Thank you. Thank you. It's all good stuff. So I'm going to back out, let you boys be boys, and um, do more important stuff than talk to me. Um, but no. thank you for having me. Thank you, thank for, you coming. for coming on. We appreciate it so much. You are so welcome. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye. Bye bye. Why don't we jump into some gaming news and then uh, wrap it up for the night? All right. A lot has been going on these past mm. weeks. <laughs> hey, Alan, welcome back. Go for it. <laughs> I notice you're all clean shaven now. Look at you. Yeah, new job. So Got to wear a mask dirty. all the time, and that that don't that don't mesh well with a beard. It makes the beard do like a little quaff kind of thing, and I don't like it. So I shaved it off. But anyways, I feel your pain. I feel your pain, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, what's been going on in gaming news? Fortnite is uh, at the last call. They're worth, uh, or not Fortnite? Epic Games is worth seventeen point three billion with a B. Damn! And seventeen point two of that is Fortnite. <laughs> no way! It, 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 <laughs> I'm joking. That's Fortnite a joke. Skins. Yeah, it's all Fortnite that's, skins. That's. Probably twenty some dollars a pop. Yeah. I would be curious to see what their net value was prior to Fortnite releasing, and what it is you know compared now, and see what how much of that is contributed. This, this article says that in the last two years they have jumped up fifteen percent. That's huge. That, that is huge. They were all that. Well, they were already a billion dollar company at that. point. I know. I mean, they've been wow. Yeah, so the apparently just... in 2019, Fortnite brought in a revenue of 1.8 billion. That doesn't surprise me. You know, it's it's in shocking. 2019. 
full of microtransactions. What are you saying, Nate? I was going to say that the the uh, Unreal Engine has been licensed to so many different games. Like, oh, mm-hmm. do they own it? Oh yeah, yeah. Unreal is uh, Epic property. Yep, it's why it's part of the whole Apple versus Epic versus Google debacle. Which, by the way, they they uh, uh, Apple lost that side of it. They said, uh, yes, we can keep Fortnite out of it, but you can't ban um, Unreal Engine based games from your App Store. As an but Android user, that makes me happy. The developer account for Epic, correct? Correct. So anything Epic had to do with the Apple Store is is no longer there. But anyone else that had same been, thing for the Google Play Store, yeah, that had licensed the Unreal Engine to create their game, they're still good. Thank thank God, because I mean, you don't have to question for it, do you? Yeah, you have the Unreal that. Engine. I thought it was kind of like Unity. Nope. No, you have to pay a licensing fee. You, I believe you can develop in it for free, but you can't monetize on it at all. So as soon as you get mm. something that's ready to go to market, then you have to license it if you want to. Ah, uh, okay. That's why when you have the, the opening credits, you have like, oh, Unreal Engine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Final Fantasy Remake, Unreal Engine. Mm-hmm. Such a good game. Tons. It's coming to PC. I'm going to wait until it comes to PC. because I want to see. It's what coming it to like. PC? Coming yeah. to PC. 49 yeah. hours on the <laughs> dot that it took me to finish that game. And he texted me and bragged about that too. He was proud of that. He's like, <laughs> oh, 49 hours on it. the dot. 49, dear. And it's plat- just the Midgar section. What was six hours took me 49 hours. <laughs> Sorry. Oi. <laughs> yeah. All right. What else we got? Uh, we also got uh, Nintendo shares surge up. Is, is, this, is this number accurate? 428% from lockdown boom, which doesn't surprise me. I have a feeling that every switch. every game uh, system that has some kind of digital content probably hmm. had a massive surge, especially where the uh, the switch is a, a portable thing. You don't you're not like sitting in one spot. You can get up, you can move around, you can go sit outside. In the you know sun and play a game if your Wi-Fi is good enough. You know what I'm game came out in March? Animal Crossing. Animal Crossing. God. <laughs> you know what happened in March? I can't escape it. Lockdown. <laughs> oh, I can't escape it. I leave for two weeks. You guys so wait, 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 wait. Before I freak out on you for mentioning Animal Crossing. Um, <laughs> Mine early. Well, what you're saying is I'm gonna get tin foil hat. hat. Tin foil hat. Tin foil hat. Yep. Animal Crossing caused the pandemic. No, I'm that's, that's terrible. I'm, I'm gonna make a tin foil hat next time. <laughs> I'm gonna cut that out. Not tin foil, <laughs> spin foil. Alan, Alan tried to go to a whole. No, other- I have aluminum foil, so it's Al- aluminum. No, spin aluminium. Foil. You know, remember from um, the uh, the. What was it called? Cosmodrome? Oh. Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I know. I'm a warlock. It was man. a planetary resource with Cosmodrome. Oh. Ben Metal. Um, Your memory, yep. man. I'm telling you. It's scary sometimes. <laughs> I, I forgot all about that. What are you writing but there, Joe? Cut out, cut out that Animal Crossing reference? Is that what I see writing <laughs> over there? <laughs> out from last. Nobody cut out where Joe has to admit that he forgot what spin foil was. Yep. 
But Alan, speaking of Nintendo, uh, they had a Nintendo Direct. What was it yesterday? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Announced Mario 3D All Stars. Yes. Mario really? 64, Mario Sunshine, and Mario Galaxy. I am so what? freaking all happy. on the Switch. All on the oh. Switch. And yep. what's interesting to me though is that they're making that a limited release. Wait, what? Why? Why do they do that? I don't know. See, to me, that doesn't make sense unless they're trying to. Yeah, I don't know why they're doing it. Actually, I can't even come up with a reason. Because Disney, because they can. Yeah, because it's Nintendo. Yep. Because they know if they make it limited, everybody's gonna get it. Even if they're not gonna play it, they're gonna get it just to say they got it. Oh, I well, that's me. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna play. I'm I'm gonna play the heck out of it. Listen, Nintendo. Where's my Metroid? Yes, where's well, Metroid? They scrapped it. So that what I'm I, waiting I for Metroid Prime Four. They were saying they had to almost scrap the whole thing and start over again because they didn't they like did. how, they didn't like the direction that it was initially going in. Yeah, I mean, hey, if they can take it from other M back to Metroid Prime, I'm all I'm down. <laughs> we got all the Mario's for the 35th anniversary, and yeah, next year is the 30th 35th anniversary of both Zelda and Metroid. Oh. Because so. they're working on Breath of the Wild sequel, I know that. Yeah, I, I honestly, I wouldn't even care if they did like they just did with the Mario 3D and just said, "Hey, we're releasing all three Metroid Primes on the Switch." Because I because they did it on Wii. I love those games. I still have my GameCube for that one reason, so I can <laughs> replay those games at some point. Alan, Alan, I mean. They just released Mario, like they announced Mario, and their their stock surged four hundred and twenty eight percent. What do you think Zelda or Metroid is going to do? I want it. I'm stuck at home. And, and right now, they're also there's also rumors that Nintendo's working on the next generation of Nintendo Switch. Oh, yes, the Switch, as good of a console as it is, it's extremely underpowered. Yep. So if they can use some of this new um, NVIDIA technology that, was it, the Tegra 3? Yep. I don't know. That's inside of it now, and they're working on Tegra 4. Uh, Could be pretty massive. The the screen's only 720p. Does it need to be more than that, though? I'd go at least 1080p. I mean... I got 1080p on this, so why can't we get 1080p on the on that? You know, but yeah, but just you can't. This you should, right? Mm-hmm. You're right. It's a small screen. You're really you're not really gonna notice the difference. Mm-hmm. So you put that you put that money into battery tech, or you put that money into the the processor tech, and then you know, money really- in so that way the stupid little Joy Cons don't break. Right there, you go. And speaking but of with the new consoles coming out, so PS5 and Xbox One S uh, or the Series X. Why you mentioned that? What is this that I heard that PS5 has got like a lottery now? Is that a legit? So, <laughs> is there so is there to, weight to that? Uh, so well, what they did last week, uh, the they opened up that you could sign up for the possibility of being chosen to pre-order because of limited stock. So a lot of due, due to COVID, a lot of production has just been kiboshed. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So just to, to meet demand, 
they opened up um, kind of this lottery to be eligible to order a console. Based off your game and usage activity, that's where it gets funny, dicey. No, you just put in your uh, PlayStation ID. Mm Mm-hmm. And you're yeah. just entered in the lottery. Uh, they they mentioned that they are going to make considerations for your because what they the purpose behind it was they didn't want a bunch of bot accounts coming in and just yeah. trying to gobble them up. So they're actually looking at your game usage to see if you're you know an active an active person. person. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's been uh, that's been turning some ire up from a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But I can I can see where they're coming from in terms of nope. uh, just due to the limited availability. I, I think Microsoft might do something similar just due to just productions. They they have a hard time making the things due to COVID. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting for sure. We're still playing chicken with the pricing. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um uh. The- they just don't want to, they don't want to, they want to see who cracks first. And I don't know, do for some reason, even in the world of COVID, I have a hard time believing that they're going to make this a lot or keep this a lottery for long because it's going to be such a hot selling item Mm that people are going to buy it. They know they're going to buy it. I, I, I don't know. For some reason, I have a hard time believing that, but maybe I, I should, I don't know. I, I the mean, other thing is how limited oh, they are. Yeah, no worries. Um, this might be the only way that they can do it. Mm. They, they can ramp up production. Yeah. Because remember when the Wii came out? You could not get one until like month six. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And That's stores true. had to have essentially either a fair scrum for a server or a lottery. Well, they do the same. They do similar things on Black Friday, you know? You go into you go into a place and you get in line and they hand you a ticket and say, "Sorry guys, we're out of tickets. If you wanted this, you're SOL. Sorry, go home." That was a safety thing. They didn't. They got tired of seeing people get trampled over a TV. But that's yeah. but it. It is a very. I mean, it's it's a nice system. Sure, it's it sucks. Oh, you didn't get picked, but you know what? You just have to wait a little bit longer. If you want it that bad, you can wait. Sure. You know, I know I can wait. Hell, I'm not even going to buy one until next year after all the bugs are worked out of the first system because I know Sony systems. <laughs> they don't work right the first time around. <laughs> I, I just I just signed up for my uh, Game Pass Ultimate. You can officially take the Stadia tag off of me. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yep. You okay. were holding strong, Nate. I was. <laughs> yeah, and we had mentioned that Google has a tendency of putting out a product and then killing it. Yep, yep. going. No, it didn't work. They're trying. They just don't have the the, the player base. It's not coming. No. Yeah. yeah. Right yeah. now, I think products Project X Cloud is kind of taking over. Yeah, it's it's what I wanted. That's what I wanted uh, Stadia for. So now and, that and giving me a GeForce experience is, is kind of taking its its strides. But speaking of the new consoles and the, the GeForce, Nvidia dropped a bombshell yesterday. I hope those prices hold up. 
this I have a buddy of mine literally called me yesterday and he goes, dude, did you see the prices of these things? Oh um, my god. Right? The NVIDIA thirty seventy series that's supposed to be coming out this year or next year? No, it's coming out next month. Next month, right? What is it going for? Five four ninety nine. Yeah. And the thirty seventy, the basement model is supposed to double the performance of a twenty eighty TI. Hmm. And then you have a thirty eighty that is at six ninety nine. Right. And then you have the thirty ninety, which is the, the big boy, which is the replacement for a Titan. I'm that looking is, at my computer and I'm like, you may be getting an upgrade. <laughs> yeah, it's fi- it's fifteen hundred bucks, but it's twenty four <laughs> gigabytes of VRAM. Well, I'm not going for that one. Um. <laughs> 24. My, I have a 2070 Super, and that thing has 6 six or 8 gigs of VRAM, and the other 24. Basically, it's your a, 90 is for anyone that is running a full VR rig. Yeah. Okay. It, it, they, they're marketing it as 8K60 capable. Mm-hmm. And then you have your 3080 which is supposed to be 4K 60 with ultra settings or having the the possibility of having 120 hertz. I actually read somewhere that it it is feasibly possible for it to do 360 hertz. Yep. Uh, no monitor, ten, but yeah. No, there's one monitor right now that's out that can do 360 hertz. <laughs> so NVIDIA just... Lord, everyone. Mm-hmm. Certainly with the pricing, if the pricing can really hold up. Yeah, if that pricing holds up, I, I actually feel bad for anyone that was hanging on to a 2080 hoping that they could sell it for a mint. Because why would you... like that? You just you just took the knees out of anyone that's, that mm-hmm. overspent for one of those. Is the monitor an Apple product? <laughs> <laughs> no, it is not. No. Oh, shocker. You know, I've been talking this whole time. I've been on mute. Of course. <laughs> well, we oh, chat heard it, though. Uh, yeah. It, it kind of is synonymous with that uh, that picture I sent you the other day, Joe, isn't it? <laughs> Spot on. <laughs> Never a podcast Peter unless Joe goes on mute. Or a game or anything else. <laughs> I'm, I'm famous for going mute. Uh, no. Well. But those new GPUs, because we know that NVIDIA drops those Founders Editions and what they did with the RTX line, the the twenty the, the 2000 series, they had the regular line and then they had the super line. So I'm guessing if they, they hold true, because it's like a two-year cycle. So next year we might get those those super models. And because the, the 2000 series super models were really good. Because a 2070 Super is the equivalent of a 2080. Right. Yeah, it's when they start putting in the overclocks and kind of stuffing extra RAM into them. Yeah. So if you're already getting the performance of like doubling a 2080 Ti and then slapping on more on that at the same price. It's, it's I, I, again, I just hope the prices hold up because typically from, from the history that I know of NVIDIA, when they release a price, that's the reference board. And then yeah. the... You know, the, the OEMs get a hold of it and throw their colorful heat sinks on it, slap their pretty RAM RGB. On, RG, right, exactly, and then triple the price. So I hope those prices hold. Because, uh, yeah, I might be uh, 
I might be in the market for. I actually just got a new monitor today. Because uh, for shadowing, right, right. I was like, I need to kind of future proof my rig here uh, between either a new Nvidia card and or a Series X. I'm going. I can't cut it with this. Uh, my 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 2002 monitor. Yeah, so monitors now. I'm playing on a damn Best Buy brand TV over here for crying out loud. Is that a Westinghouse? (laughs) Oh, it's an Element. Oh, I don't know that one. (laughs) Yo, playing on a Best Buy TV over here. Hey yo, oh whoa. The one of the good things about it is I'm kind of hoping that some of the other video cards are maybe going to drop a little bit in price, but realistically, I know they're never gonna. Well, they are. They, <laughs> NVIDIA won't be able to justify the price of like a, two, a 2070 Super yeah. at the, the price it is. So it's going to trickle down. I, I, I hope so because no I'm looking to build something about. in the future. And I would really like to be able to get something that's a couple of years old instead of going back like three or four years because that's all I can afford. you know. Because yeah. for me, my, my gaming ring at home has a 20, 2070 Super and I'm running uh, Ryzen 5. And I'm running Destiny 2 max settings at almost 144 hertz. Destiny runs on a potato, but oh, it but does. Still, potato. I have a first gen. I have a first gen i7 and a 970, <laughs> and I can it on high settings and still get close to 60 frames out of it. I play on a pavilion laptop. Yeah, <laughs> it runs on but, a. But the sweet a, spot I is have a computer. <laughs> the sweet spot. I'm is with you. That I'm with you. <laughs> it's got lights. You push a button, it turns on and off. I put so, button. It works. Some things are flashing different colors, and it's cool. Uh, I made mine red. I couldn't take the flashing colors. <laughs> I didn't even build it. A friend of mine did. Joe, do you, do you seek and destroy? But no, I don't. <laughs> No, I took a typing <laughs> class in school. Are you a hunting pecker there, Joe? <laughs> wow, what other names we got for typing with just your index fingers? Man. Oh, we just went off the rails completely. Well, I'm going to use this. I'm going to use this. We waited for our guests to leave. <laughs> I like this. Jarvis can apparently play. I'm going to use this, and uh, we're going to use this as a way to wrap up the evening. Yeah, sure. That was great. Great. Can I uh, shout out to some of our uh, Ko-Fi and Patreon? Absolutely. Go right awesome. Ahead. So for Ko-Fi, so um, just to reiterate again, um, any of the donations that are um, provided or given to us go all directly towards curating and preparing and shipping our wonderful uh, mental health kits that we were talking about earlier. Um, so thank you to, from, um, moving forward. Thank you, Katie O and Kat with a K. I can't say last names. Um, thank you both for, uh, donating through Ko-Fi. Also a very large shout out over on Patreon to our Sir Farrix. That's F-A-R-I-X who is currently at the – oh, can I yell it? Can I do the it's over 9,000 yell? You can. <laughs> yes, you can. It's over 9,000 uh, tier. 
Um, so thank you very much to him. And Joe is going to cut that out. Um, nah. But but a big shout out um, to him, uh, to him or her, Sir Fe- or Sir Ferrix. Um, thank you very much for your support. Uh, thank everybody who has donated so far. This really does help to keep this project moving forward. This keeps us to, this allows us to make it continuously free and ship to all who request. So thank you again. Thank you. Thank you so much, everyone. Yes. And a big shout out to uh, Harsh Reality LLC Esports Group. They just wrapped up their three day charity stream for us. And uh, they have been big supporters of not only us, but also our mental health kiss program. And they want to help us keep it going, uh, with doing, uh, streams every other month or every, every quarter or however many times that they want to want to do it. But, uh, their leads have spoke with us directly in saying they want to do something for us ongoing to support these. And they see how much value is in these mental health kits and, you know, uh, we've had a lot of people uh, share their kits on social media, reach out to us privately, sharing their thoughts and just how much value they get out of it and how meaningful these are. I mean, you think of it and you're like, oh, what could be possibly in it? There's a lot. There is a lot mm-hmm. in these kits and mm-hmm. they are um, from our hearts, curated assembled by us and our team members and they we are we do not have a fulfillment center this is not you know this is not amazon or something we are doing this by hand Mm -hmm. and we're there is a little bit of a time wait because we are you know doing this you know ourselves but rest assured if you request one you will get one We will get one to you it may yeah. come from upstate Eventually. New York. It may come from Staten Island, New York. It may come from California. It's it might come, come from, from Canada. Canada. <laughs> it's coming from everywhere, but you will get it. Yeah. And just in case, I don't know if I missed it and you guys mentioned it, but um, currently our international orders are temporarily on hold just because we're trying to get the shipping all sorted out. So if you are outside of the U.S. and you requested a kit, you will get it. It just might take longer for to get to you. Yep, I got a few a few new uh, emails today that were all from the UK. So, you know what? It's just one of those things where you know it's so expensive to send something overseas. Um, Right now, it's roughly the cheapest price we can get to ship a kit overseas is twenty three dollars, and it's very expensive. You know, yeah, for an eleven ounce kit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and for the number of people and we appreciate it but, and overseas we've we're starting to recognize we got a lot of people overseas. So thank you. But mm-hmm. we'll we're working on it. You in Japan, well, yeah, you will get your kit. Don't you worry. It might take <laughs> us a little while, but even if we do it like a couple couple of months just to try and like make it a little easier on costs. Yeah. I mean, we're we're not a Fortune 500. I mean, no. you know, everything no, that we're we, not, uh, you didn't get, uh, we'll talk huh? later. Okay. Uh, <laughs> don't worry about it. Uh, I don't know what JL told you, but <laughs> ridiculous. Uh, here's hoping, but no, thank you again to our guest, uh, and yes. everybody that tuned in with us. You can catch more of us on, uh, 
Twitter, follow us on Twitter and our social medias. We're on uh, Guardians MH on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. I did a TikTok video. You did yes. two. <laughs> two. Two. Joe was on the tickety gonna, talks. Which I'm going to force all of you to make them now because I had to do I'll it. do it. Uh, I'll do it. <laughs> do it. Yep. Yep, you're all doing it now. If can I, I d- if I can, can we dance? Guys. Like, can I do a renegade on it? Like, what are we doing here? <laughs> Some of those dance challenges. Yeah, yeah, I'll do a dance challenge. Oh man, you guys are just yeah, you're having <laughs> too much fun with us. As, Bye, Alan. as me, as me and Amanda are making them, we'll do. Where did Alan go? <laughs> I cringed oh, too hard. He gave up. He gave up. Well, you can find us on all the socials. Uh, visit our website, guardiansmh.org, to find more uh, meaningful resources and links to other uh, avenues for professional help and finding professional help near you. Also, for requesting kits and seeing uh, other uh, mental health focused articles and various other things that we have on the website. And you can catch our podcast wherever you get your podcast from. And we record bi-weekly on Friday nights. And who do we have up coming up next? Up uh, top next of your head. week, we have uh, Miss 5,000 Watts. Miss 5,000 Watts is coming on next week. And next week, we actually kick off with our own charity stream, um, the 12th through, uh, well, the 11th through the 13th. And we have so many wonderful streamers coming on with us and uh, content creators. It's going to be a fantastic uh, stream. Uh, we got uh, ourselves, our staff, we're going to be on. Uh, we have Josh, mm-hmm. JJB2, uh, Venthia, Jessica Draws, Isa Cole, who is, you know, the vo- Isa Cole, her one and only voice of Shax <laughs> himself, Mr. Moncus and Soldier, Pale Rider, iResolute, Danfinity, Blessix18, Smaller on the Outside, Tenarukin, Cobb One Art, The Ice Warrior. And Guardians Mental Health Jackbox Group Play. Yeah, buddy. Please, <laughs> even if you can't donate, mm-hmm. and this is 100% mm-hmm. going towards the mental health kits. This, none of this is going towards anything. This is to support the mental health kits, to keep the, kit, keep the program going. Um, every little bit helps. Even if you don't have anything to donate, stop by, support the stream, share, like it, and help help our reach grow a little bit farther. So more people are aware of this program that is available to them. And discord, give us a verified server and that's it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Discord. What's going on? Pay Tom Nook. You'll get your, your check. (laughs) (laughs) That's really what the stream is for. (laughs) Wait, d- d- God damn it. That's a freaking normal talking All right, we're out of here. Yes. That's it. I had enough. Yes. Bye, All right, everybody. Thank you. Thank you, Nate, right. for sneaking that in. Good night. <laughs> I almost hung up on all of you. Just <laughs> said. <laughs>